you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I think that would have been a great. <laughs> well, that would be talking about the, the cassette tape version. Even better. Let's make it an eight-track tape, reel to reel. Um, wait, no. What was it in the uh, in the movie? Did he have a wire recording? A wire device? recorder device. Yeah. Yes. So that's yeah. what we should we should do for it. <laughs> this is Derek McCaw at a Cut directly sheet. to wax ring. Wax ring. You know. There we go. I was I was segueing, dude. This is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and this uh, we are podcasting on Wednesday, October nineteenth, two thousand sixteen, and uh, of course, uh, producing this with me as always. Uh, even though we are via Skype, so neither of us are in the same room. Nope, I'm Rick Brett Snyder. That's right, and uh, we are missing Nate because, of course, he is living the dream, working hard in Hollywood. And uh, even though I'm probably less than 20 miles away from him right now, we could not coordinate. But uh, we've got uh, some comics news, some movie news, some TV news, and uh, some gossip and, and theories to throw around. Uh, and, of course, if you're listening to us on iTunes or Google Play, please, uh, and assuming you like us, because if you've listened this far, you like us. You rate us, review us, subscribe, tell your friends. Word of mouth is how we go. And, of course, if there's anything that we talk about on this podcast that uh, you think you would like to have for your your very own, whether it be a product, a trade paperback, a novel, even a movie, um, and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, you can use the Amazon link that is on Fanboy Planet, where you can also find this podcast, right? Each and every podcast has its own page. Uh, and you can use the Amazon search box there or a direct link if we have provided one. And we get a small kickback. And I do want to include that. I, I believe that is with movies as well, that if like if there's a TV show you want to just download the episode, we would get a small, uh, a small honorarium from Amazon for guiding you to that. And they, those add up. The more uh, small honorariums or the, the more orders we uh, send their way, uh, the slightly larger percentage of honorarium we get. If you'd just like to help support and defray the cost of of hosting the the podcast and the website, which is chock full of information and videos and articles, uh, you can also uh, donate through PayPal uh, using the email editor, that's E-D-I-T-O-R, at fanboyplanet.com. And uh, so, uh, like I said, we've got a lot of news, but our uh, top story today is... Uh, what um, we have a special guest uh, this uh, this uh, podcast, uh, Nick Antosca, and uh, Rick and I have had the opportunity this week to would you say binge watch or just be able to stop and start and keep coming back to? I don't know. Four is uh, kind of a small binge, but maybe a, it was a small. Four is a small binge. binge. Le petit but binge. Can, but considering that only two episodes have aired and and Sci-Fi was kind enough to let us uh, ha- give us access to four of them for Channel Zero, um, which is just a perfect October show. Um, it was really weird this weekend realizing I was kind of going through a bunch of different, trying to catch up on TV and when almost everything was horror. 
like American Horror Story, uh, which Nick talks about in the interview. Um, you know, Ash versus Evil Dead, Scream Queens, and the like, third and presidential course, debate. Uh, well, the, <laughs> I think that's the scariest show of them all. But that's you know that's because honestly, I'm I'm not. I, I'm glad we got through the second one. The third one, I'm not entirely convinced there's not going to be an act of violence. And and so you know it, it is uh, it is disturbing. But uh, let's leave the political commentary out and instead share with you our conversation with uh, Channel Zero creator Nick Antosca. And we are using the miracle of technology to talk with Nick Antosca, who is the uh, creator and showrunner of Channel Zero, um, possibly the creepiest thing I've ever seen on Sci-Fi. And I've sat through some of their uh, Sharknado moments. Riverworld. Um, so, River <laughs> oh, Riverworld. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Nick, thanks. Thanks for taking some time this afternoon to talk with us. The first question I, I have is because Rick and I have been trying to kind of muddle through the source material in terms of explaining it to people that don't know. You've got this show based on a concept called Creepy Pasta. And I tried explaining it to Rick a couple weeks ago. My son reads it and tried to explain it to me. Can you explain it to our listeners? Yeah, creepypasta are basically modern urban legends. They're horror stories that purport to be true. People tell them, like, oh, this happened to me or it happened to a friend of a friend. And they're written online on message boards or on Reddit. And they just kind of, if they're good, they go viral. Um, and... Uh, just as you know, stories like this would be repeated from person to person 20 years ago or whatever, now they're pasted and uh, uh, they go um, from person to person on the Internet. And some of them, like Candle Cove, develop uh, cult followings. Um, there's fan fiction based on them. Uh, people do YouTube videos and um, dramatizations and unofficial adaptations and that kind of stuff. And uh, we thought that it would be a really cool w thing to adapt um, and, and bring to a larger audience. Yeah. So that was uh, my next question was what really, what really grabbed you to decide to turn the concept of creepypasta into an anthology series? Um, I, I, I mean, there's a lot of different things, but, most fundamentally that they're just the really good ones like candle cove are just creepy as hell and you read them and if they do what they um what, what the best ones do they they leave you with like a sense of queasy dread um and they feel familiar and they're strange and uh for from, from a creative perspective it's a really exciting thing because they're great concepts but they're really simple um, they're really short and and contained, so there's a lot of room for creativity and adaptation too. And um, the challenge and the, the the exciting thing is taking the mood that comes from these things, the atmosphere, and building it out into a world. And what uh, you know, you're, you're starting with say Candle Cove. That's the one that. It, that obviously, I had heard of before. I think the, probably the other famous one is Slender Man. He counts as a, as a creepypasta, right? Wait, say again. We're the on concept of slender, I lost of, you of, for, of, for a minute. The concept of slender man. I mean, that's just so again to tie it into people what what people might have heard of before. Right. 
Can- right. Candle- Slender Man is the big one. Slender Man is the one that, like, has broken into the mainstream to the degree that, you know, people literally are murdering each other um, to serve Slender Man. So uh, I, I, I think I that think, girl survived. I just want to make sure people know that. <laughs> it's like, right. But, yeah, there has been. Trying um, to murder each other. Yeah. Um, trying to murder each other. Uh, but, uh, but Slender Man is, yeah, I mean, that, that's the one that everybody knows. And I think that, I think they're making a movie of Slender Man already. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, there, there's other ones like Smile Dog you were mentioning earlier. Um, and, uh, and Candle Cove, um, that have sort of like just kind of nudged in toward the mainstream, but aren't really there in the same way Slender Man is. Um, and, uh, and to me, it's not really about like picking the most popular ones or, um, anything like that. It's, uh, it's about finding the ones that, um, that, are most likely to give me nightmares. Um, so, you know, each, each season of channel zero is like, um, is kind of like the nightmare that you have after you read the original short story that it's based on. Uh, and I've got really, really eclectic tastes in terms of the stuff that I like. But one thing that, that I find is that, um, a lot of the horror movies, uh, and, um, uh, unusual films that I like kind of, capturing one way or another the feeling of a nightmare and um, and that's what i like to see when i go to when i go to the movies i like to be uh transported in that particular way and i don't care that much about um uh traditional exposition or mythology um it, it, it's more about capturing a feeling and mm-hmm. so uh in channel zero and craig craig mcneil the director of the first season i talked about this a lot because he's um, similarly inclined. We wanted to create something that that felt like a nightmare and had a kind of different, strange, queasy feeling than than other horror that we had seen on TV. You know, this is a very very low budget show, and we didn't make it imagining. Well, how do we appeal to you know the the, the most, the biggest, the most mainstream audience? We just sort of wanted to make a, a show that, you know, was the kind of horror that we enjoy. The 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 internet really does play a big part. In it. And I, I was just getting super creeped out looking at this stuff because I looked up Candle Cove first, and then um, th- there was a reference to Slender Man. So I typed Slender in the search box, and it automatically filled in man. And, mm-hmm. and then I typed Smile. And it filled in dog. So it's it's really shoving this stuff at me like it really wants me to go down this well. Well, and you, yeah. you are achieving the nightmare feeling because what Rick and I were talking about was how I don't trust what you presented as dream sequences. As ne- I don't trust that what I was interpreting as a dream sequence was necessarily a dream sequence. Like I, yeah. there are and, moments and- I can't tell. You'll see some of that stuff in um, in future episodes too. I mean, that's very much a conscious decision, and uh, and I'm glad that it's it's uh, messing with you in that way. Um, <laughs> you'll see, particularly in 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 episodes three next week, um, and episode five and and six, some of that stuff where dreams and reality are, are crossing over, and things that uh, that Mike sees in dreams then show up in reality or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, 
and I, I will say one thing to that, though. Um, it, it, even though our main character is clearly psychologically unstable and his mind is fragmenting, uh, this is not a show where you're going to find out that it was all a dream or... Right. Um, He's been you know, dead all the time. It, yeah, we're, we're not going to play that kind of a trick on the audience. Um, there are, in the, in the world of the show, in the reality of the show, there are most definitely supernatural things happening and, and um, uh, other people can see them and um, uh, other people are affected. So, you know, I, I, I try not to read too much stuff on the internet in terms of uh, fans theorizing. I'll, I'll read all that eventually, maybe. But, mm-hmm. um, but what I have said is, you know, a few people wondering, you know, is it all in his head? Uh, and it's not. His, he, he's not mentally healthy, but it's not all in his head. And I think you, you know, it, it's also an interesting timing. Uh, my, my glib response was, oh, you know, in a time when everybody's getting scared of, of clowns, it's really nice of you to bring back the um, terrorizing power of a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> so. You're welcome. People have forgotten how scary those can be. And, yeah. and, you know, I was impressed at how some of it, you know, the first time we see Kanako, I mean, some of these characters, they walk such a fine line between there's a <laughs> benign where I could I could see this show really happen. You know, I could see Candle Cove having been a well-meaning effort until it turns dark. And yet the characters barely yeah. change at all to suddenly become the most menacing things uh, around. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, it, it, and that was that's part of um, you know the conversation that was ongoing when we made the show within the show, right? Because if we if if that doesn't work, uh, then the whole thing kind of falls apart. And also um, in adapting Candle Cove, one of the first things you have to get right is the puppet show itself that Chris described, and we adapted it really as uh, as faithfully as we could. I mean, that's the one thing from, from Chris's story, which is written in the form of message board posts. It's very tough to adapt. Uh, literally. Um, it's the one thing that, that you can really nail down and just do exactly as he described. Um, and so we hired, uh, a awesome team of puppeteers from Toronto. Um, and they built all these puppets. They built a ton of different versions of them because there's a whole bunch of different versions of Candle Cove that show up. There's like a fan fiction version made by the creepy guy at the um, at the TV station. Uh, so those are like the lamest, cheapest versions of the puppets. Um, there's uh, there's other fan fiction version that we glimpse later on um, in a future episode. There's the show uh, itself, which you know they performed and we shot on VHS and. Um, uh, and then there are the life-size puppets, which you've seen Mike, you know, glimpse in in visions or hallucinations or perhaps not. Um, and those things are really freaky. Uh, they're you know they're six plus feet tall, um, and uh, and there are puppeteers standing behind them with rods and and so forth. Um, and there's not not much CGI in the show. There's you know the kind of basic. Um, you know, oh, there's a boom glimpsed in the shot. We have to erase it and that kind of stuff. But um, the, other than that, it's like we're just like CGIing out the puppeteers behind uh, Horace and, and so forth when they appear in Mike's bedroom. Yeah, well, you said it was low budget, but I will, I will tell you, I think your storytelling is so effective. 
I, I never really noticed that lack of lack of budget is it's so engrossing and uh you're also working on or you're you're attached to the new friday the 13th right well i'll give you a lowdown on that uh i'm not attached to the new friday the 13th anymore okay um, because the internet says so that's all i, I know uh well <laughs> the 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 issue is that uh that imdb leaves you on the page until the the movie i guess comes out or wga determines whoever's on it to my knowledge, they're not using anything from my script. Um, that was a that was actually a really good experience um, until they just like threw a script out. Uh, it was me and um, and David Bruckner who directed um, you know uh, Signal Southbound and VHS uh, and The Signal, okay. uh, who's an awesome director. And hopefully, I you know I, if we have more seasons of Channel Zero, I'd love to get him to come do one. Um, but uh, we had a, a really cool Friday the 13th movie that was set in the 80s. And um, we, we always thought of it as Dazed and Confused and Jason shows up and shreds everybody. Uh, but um, with the, the changing of the guard at Paramount, uh, uh, or uh, whoever was in charge when they hired me wasn't there when I turned in the script. And we just never heard anything else about it. So um, I... I'm excited to see the Friday the 13th movie whenever it comes out. Okay. So let's focus back to Channel Zero. You are in the midst of shooting the second season, and the internet does have the wrong story uh, listed as what it is. So you mentioned it before we started the interview, but uh, to repeat, what is the next story? The second season of Channel Zero is going to be based on Brian Russell's creepypasta story, the No End House, which is another one of my favorite creepypasta stories. Um, instead of centering around a haunted uh, TV show, it centers around uh, a haunted fun house that these people go to. Um, and We're back to the clowns. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're going to see some, some really strange stuff in, uh, in season two. Um, it's it's going to be a completely different style because part of the concept of Channel Zero as an anthology is because it's only six episodes, um, we can get one director for the entire season. So each season, and I don't, I, this is this is something I'm really excited about. Because um, I, I don't know any other show that's doing this. Uh, we're going to make every season kind of a showcase for, uh, for an exciting director from the world of independent film. So the first season is Craig William McNeil. Um, and he brings his particular voice to it. And the second season is a director named Stephen Pyatt, who did a movie called Uncle John that was also uh, coincidentally at South by Southwest with Craig's movie. And um, you can see that on Netflix. It's a terrific film. Okay, and um, he's bringing his style and voice to, to season two. Uh, so every season is going to feel really distinct and different. And they're all going to be creepy and have that kind of nightmare vibe that i love um but visually and from a cinematic storytelling perspective they're going to be distinct you know if you if you watch a moment of one you'll know that like okay this is a different world we're in it's not going to be like american horror story where you know there's sort of the same uh vibe and the same cast of, of, of actors each season now because it's six episodes are is it going to be once a year or are we going to really see these as mini seasons that happen every four or five months or 
Because I love your the approach that I mean, you've got the story. You're telling one really solid story. And yeah. There's been no lull. So the problem is, once I get to the end of episode six, I want to <laughs> see what you're going to give me next. Yeah. Well, uh, as I understand, I mean, this is really up to sci-fi. Um, the the second season is going to come out one year after the first season. They're going to be uh, October specials or whatever, um, centered the, uh, uh, along with um, uh, 31 Days of Horror, the uh, event that Sci-Fi does every Halloween. Um, that said, you know, after the first year, if they do more seasons, I have no idea. Anything could happen. Uh, I would love to do several more seasons and i i know um i got a list of creepypasta that i would love to adapt and uh basically if if the production reality is allowed for it i don't see any reason that you couldn't do them every six or eight months or something like that um the the only limitation logistically would just be time and money you know they're it's basically like making a five or six hour movie um, and and this year I'm making two five or six hour movies, which yeah. is tough, you know, especially if you're, if you're not, you know, if you're trying to make them look distinct and be cinematic and interesting. Um, and uh, uh, I would love to have, you know, more time in the editing room and that kind of stuff, the, the, the stuff that you always say. But um, uh, the answer is we'll see. We'll see uh, after... Um, the second season, what uh, what Sci-Fi wants to do. Okay, okay. Well, we look forward to it. Thank you for the time. I, I should ask though, if people want to do the research now, Rick went into Google or some, uh, you know, search some engine. Uh, search engine. But uh, I believe that uh, Candle Cove, there is a solid short story self-published by 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 Chris Straub. Um, oh yeah. So where can people go? To kind of you know, where would you recommend they go? Would you rather they watch Channel Zero first, or you know, somebody gets excited by this and want to read the original story? No, I think they should read the original story first. I mean, it's a thousand words. It'll it'll take you you know five minutes to read it, um, and it's all over the internet. If you, I would recommend that if you want to read it, type Candle Cove into your Google and possibly uh, uh, Chris Straub or short story. Um, and it will be one of the top results. Uh, don't be fooled if you see something that looks like random message board posts. That is the actual story. It's written in the form of message board posts. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would encourage people to, to check that out and then watch uh, Channel Zero. You can go to sci-fi.com, I think, and watch the first and probably second episode for free. Um, and on iTunes and, uh, and all that stuff. So I, I think actually the second one, I think they might all be free on Sci-Fi's website. Um, but, uh, but I know they're on iTunes and um, uh, it's uh, on Sci-Fi at 9 on Tuesdays also. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you duly creeped us out. Looking forward to the next thing from you. Thanks. Cool. Thank you, guys. And we give a special thank you to Sci-Fi, again, for giving us this opportunity to talk with Nick and for creeping us out this week. So uh, let's uh, talk some comics. Uh, Rick, uh, of course, uh, in the, the, the last week, Marvel, uh, well, you've you talked about it last week or two weeks ago, this miniseries Death of X right. that's coming from Marvel. So I, I actually went and bought issues one and two. 
because two, two came I thought, out this week. Yeah, so I, 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 it would not be in my what's in the bag, but I did pick it up so that I could kind of catch up and know because Marvel's using it to springboard in the spring a whole new thing called Resurrect X Zion uh, Resurrection, um, with the X being the X Men and the O being Black Bolt symbol. So that's something to do with the Inhumans again, kind of bringing them all together, um, and uh, and it's definitely bringing back some old favorite one. Uh, like, like, I mean, I guess it's, it's it's noteworthy and newsworthy because we have been so convinced that the X Men were being kind of shoved off to the side because Marvel can't fully uh, profit and can't have full profit participation. It was a with, it was a a story and financial genocide. Yeah, I, I I don't think I would use the word genocide now that I think, of it, but uh, uh, but definitely. That you know, Marvel shares it with Fox because Fox owns the rights, so they've really pulled back on uh, on licensing the X Men stuff. Um, you know, there there really aren't any action figures right now. The main X Men have sort of dissipated into the Marvel universe on other teams, and uh, then it's coming back together for this Death of X, which I was looking at going, is that like a, supposed to be the final battle between? the X-Men and the Inhumans, because we've also seen an ascension of Inhumans, which Marvel does own 100%, um, but they're failing to catch fire. And having said that, though, I did just catch up, uh, I think, because it's been so slow and and behind. Have you been reading Karnak? Yes. The, the one, I, you know, I, I would say that is the one Inhuman, the one member of the royal family that should show up on S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, you would the- not need... It'd be interesting, yeah, yeah. You would not need to do any special effects, and you know the re- and he could just the way they've been Warren Ellis and and his artists. He's had a couple have been portraying him. Is you know you just do the tattoo makeup and that's it, right? And you know because he's been wearing he's wearing a hoodie now and he's you know yeah he's so he looks very casual like you could. Yeah. And if they ever wanted to bridge, if they're ever going to make a live action film, you could just bridge and put a car, put Karnak in. I don't care if you recast him for the big screen, or go ahead throw money at some special guest star to play Karnak in one episode, so that years later he can be. And people go, "Oh, that's why he was there," <laughs> you know. But uh, anyway, the being that that they are bringing back a lot of X Men that they had that had gone away. The first big announcement was Iceman, uh, because and, and it's noteworthy because this would be, I think. Marvel's first, uh, it's not Marvel's first gay character, but the first gay character to have a solo book. And assuming that it is an ongoing, and of course there's always that question, you know, it's at least intended to be until the next Marvel Now reboot. Um, Yeah. They have not announced any creative teams, which is interesting because the images that they've released have been kind of collages of iconic images from a variety of different artists. The one most obvious, well, actually both of the, the ones that are ran this week uh, on the, on the site are, you know, weapon X. So we, we've had X 23 and old man Logan running around and they keep saying it's a beginning. There's a, an assumption that, um, this means that they're going to bring back Wolverine in the way people know him. Um, but there's all kinds of stuff from Barry Windsor Smith. There's, you know, there's a shot of, of Deadpool. There's a shot of Alan Davis's version of Sauron. Um, it, it's just, it's a variety of things. Going, okay, so I don't know, and you've been closer, reading more closely. Yeah. Um, in the wake of Secret Wars, 
is this an opportunity to just kind of retell, pull back the curtain, and say there are now gaps placed in? Because Marvel insisted this was that that wasn't a reboot, but they certainly the way it was handled. Uh, Franklin Richards essentially rebooted. Yeah, so, it just comes down to how how finicky you want to be with the definition of reboot, because basically any story that changes a character's personality, or you know, when when uh, when Magneto was turned into a baby, right, and then age, <laughs> age forward, that wasn't a reboot. That was part of the story, and he came out a different guy for a while. So, you know, right, but I'm saying that if if Franklin Richards basically rebuilt the Marvel universe, right, then that saved was... the multiverse from from destruction, and right. they have specifically said this is a new universe. We saw the end of the old universe, right? We are now in the seventh, I think, the seventh reality, which is how Galactus can now be what he was meant to be over in the Ultimates, right? As the, uh, the life giver, right? Um, which I'll, I'll admit was an interesting twist. Um, so we have, you know, Weapon X coming, and then uh, Marvel now State Jean Grey. So I would assume that many are, are coming forth. We just don't know what resurrection really is going to be. Is it going to go back? Because they're using so many old images, are they going to go back and tell us the history of these characters as a, as a springboard for who they're going to be now? Is this a rewriting of history? I, I, I don't know. But they're clearly banking. This is the return of the X-Men. Uh, it's, full it, power. It's definitely full a, war. it's definitely a tidying up, and I think that I think you're kind of right in that I think they were moving to throw their emphasis behind the Inhumans and and really ghettoize the X Men, and it certainly has been the way they've been they've been telling stories and they've isolated the X Men stories a bit more, uh, with the exception of the few crossover characters that show up like in the Avengers, but. The idea that um, this is all centering around Scott, who it, it, who has had kind of a redemption story. You know, it, it, was it his fault that he got the powers that he got that changed him, and then what he what he did afterwards? That's that's it's kind of like how do we how do we resolve that? How do we get Cyclops back into a character that kids want to wear his underoos again? You know, it's it's uh, they've they've got they've got the young. Uh, the young Cyclops, but again, that's young Cyclops. That's not Scott Summers. Mm-hmm. So who's, uh, at least associated, if not officially right now, one of the champions. Right. So. Right. So, so and that was a way it, yeah. is, it is interesting to me how many people, uh, a friend of mine just put, put this, uh, uh, one of my friends asked, uh, which X-Men did you identify with when you were growing up? Oh, that's a and good one. How many people answered Cyclops? Which I never did, which is odd, having glasses. But, you know, yeah. it was, I said, you know, I'm old enough to remember when there were just five. So, uh, the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> but but not even the blue-furred one, you know. Um, yeah, which which one which one did you? Because I know who I did. Well, it was Nightcrawler when I really got into the X-Men. Okay. Um, but, me- I mean, uh, when I only had five to choose from, it was, it was the Beast. I understood. You know, he's blocky. He was erudite, spoke uh, like Johnny Little John from you know from Doc Savage. Uh, you know, use big words. It's I. Yeah, for know, me, for at, me, at six, I was that guy. For me, none of them really appealed to me because of all the downsides. The only one who who had cool powers and didn't have a downside to them, at least at the beginning, was Jean Grey with the telekinesis because she wasn't a telepath at the beginning. 
Well, it, it's okay to identify with. Uh, yeah, it was in my animus and anime, you know. The yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, that's all right. You had you had everybody everybody on that team had some problems. I mean, even Happy Go Lucky Iceman, right? Who's who? Well, I mean, you know, and that was and that was the uh, you know that was the hallmark of early Marvel. I mean, yeah, you know, that, it, that's everybody had their problem. Uh, and Marvel still has their problems because uh, <laughs> it's just uh, today is wait which Iron Man is this that came out in uh, infamous. the infamous the infamous Iron Man um, came out today number one and then uh, it basically spoils the ending of Civil War two or at least I should say the fate of a major character in Civil War two which isn't going to come out until maybe 2017 at this rate. Though even as I put that in our itinerary, Marvel uh, release gave sent a press release out saying, "Ooh, uh, issue number seven is going to arrive a week early on November twenty third, so just in time for Thanksgiving. Oh, we can all be thankful that issue number seven is coming a week early. Except that it was already delayed a month, so they're already way behind <laughs> and making us feel like, ooh, thank you for your." Watch delivering an issue a week early, even though it was already late. You know, it makes no sense. You know, people um, people who can't handle time travel shouldn't read comics. I mean, that's that's true, and we've established we have established that many times. Uh, that absolutely, absolutely. So, I accept your judgment. Uh, we'll see if other fans do. Marvel also has problems. By the way, uh, we st- I forgot to write this down, but uh, a court decided that Ike Perlmutter, um, who's in the middle of and I don't. I don't. Need, I feel kind of bad for Ike Perlmutter right now. I mean, it's, if you want to, if people want to research it, that's the guy who owned Marvel, saved it, and is now the billionaire um, who is uh, making Disney's life occasionally miserable. Um, there is a wacko, crazy lawsuit going on involving him, and he claimed uh, email privilege. And a court ruled, uh, here it is, it's like, it's almost getting into politics because, gee, isn't everything right now coming down to emails? Because he used his Marvel address for, email address for some of these communications which are germane to this court case he's involved with, which literally, I, I, I kid you not, involves stolen DNA samples of Ike Perlmutter. Um <laughs> It's crazy. I can't even go into it right now because there, not even Jonathan Hickman could have written a plot as completely comp- complicated as this one that he is that he is actually in real life involved with. But because he used Marvel email, uh, and Disney has a policy of monitoring everyone's email, he cannot claim a, a attorney privilege. It, it cannot be secure. The only emails that are safe are that if he used it and communicated with his wife, who would not have had a reasonable expectation of understanding of uh, uh, of Disney's policy of monitoring emails, which means... That's just sexist. No, 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 because she's not an employee of, of Marvel. Okay. And so it's not sexist. It's He can, he can protect it under uh, spousal confidentiality, which okay. is you know, a legal concept there. So that's safe. But the thing is that it should be picked up in fandom is just kind of an interesting thing is forget WikiLeaks. There might be some crazy things in there about the inner workings of Marvel and Disney that will come out because basically Ike Perlmutter 
is having a, a dispute with a neighbor in his co-op in Florida. And and it got crazier from there. But, I mean, you know, it's just kind of interesting, uh, th- this story coming out, because it was in The Hollywood Reporter. And one of the funny things is, of course, that an artist had to be employed to sketch Ike Perlmutter, sort of a, <laughs> you know, like a court reporter's version of oh, that's what right, would he look like now he doesn't based really on the last appear photo. anywhere, does he? He has not allowed himself to be knowingly photographed since the early 80s, and it's a publicity photo. And so when you see a story about him, it's always the same picture because it's the only picture anybody has. Wouldn't it be great if he had a super long beard and very long fingernails? No, no, no. He goes to to the premieres, but in disguise. Yeah. He's like the Michael Jackson of Marvel. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting. But let's get to comics, and it's like almost all – marvel from this side maybe it won't be in what's in the bag but i do want to call out outside of what's in the bag that um you know in three weeks right three weeks dr strange opens november 4th everybody's very excited the uh, world premiere is tomorrow night in hollywood um and so you know there's a lot of excitement coming up but uh marvel has released today uh, a a hardcover a trade of a collection of the last days of magic um, and I just want to recommend it because this new Doctor Strange series has been so accessible and so cool. And I don't know how much it's going to jive with the cinematic version that Benedict Cumberbatch will have brought to life uh, in three weeks. But if you want to know why people think Doctor Strange is a cool character, this Jason Aaron written series is exact, you know, exhibit A right now. Uh, so just want to, uh, give it a, a special outside of the rules of what's in the bag shout out. And I know you, you agree 100% people should be picking up the last days of magic and, and probably oh, the volume definitely. one of this series as well. Um, but you know, it's, it's what's cool about Dr. Strange in a nutshell. And, uh, since they're in hardcover at your local comic shop. And so I'm going to take this now too. what's in the bag, Rick, what's in your bag. Uh, the first one that I have is, uh, Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Ah, uh, yes. Because uh, we this is another. Yeah, well, this is one. I that's why I went with it first because I was pretty sure that was the one we might uh, we might collide on. <laughs> so uh, again, this is a young animal, and uh, again we've got a uh, kind of neglected character from. A long time, and again, we've got it written by Gerard Way and John Rivera. Um, and it's it's actually I'm digging this a little bit more than I did the Doom Patrol. I thought it was a lot more straightforward. Yeah, as a narrative, I, I think um, I think that yeah, it's it's a little it's a little angsty, a little bit a little more than I, but uh, but I I can see it going someplace. I can it actually is kind of reminding me of. Um, Starman a little bit you know the kind of a little bit of a vibe there um in particular what what did that for me i'm not going to spoil much of anything uh because there's quite a bit to spoil in here especially Starman, or do you mean i I was thinking uh that mark miller series are no i'm thinking i'm thinking kind of flash coordination Starman, the the one that was written by james robinson right yeah. Right. So, um, I mean, I'm just getting that vibe for it. I'm not saying the story is derivative or anything. Um, but because I think there's a mythology here that we're going to get exposed to. And, you know. In t- well, I thought at- there, were, there were interesting connections 
to the Silver Age um, and, and beyond, though, really, because there well, let are me, two let me, back... Let me finish, because I, that's yeah. why I was going next. Was there, there are, It looks like... Uh, first, I read it, read it, and I was thinking, is this one story? But I think it's meant to be two separate stories, both done in a kind of a faded... Uh, looks like an old 70s uh, comic book. Um, mm-hmm. And the one is uh, called Superpowers, which is kind of an otherworldly retelling of the Wonder Twins, including the Blue Ape character, whose name escapes Gleek. me. Gleek, yeah. And then we've got a one-pager, which is a Joker invading Gotham and Batgirl coming in on a uh, on a 10-speed bike. Um, but it's, it's, it's super cool looking stuff. I'm just, I'm, I know I'm going to read these two pages, this two pages superpowers thing a couple more times before I just say, I'm going to have to wait for more of it to get it. Right. But I uh, see, I think this is the thing he's doing exactly the same thing he did with, with doom patrol, but in a different fashion. Yeah. And, and, and here's why is because, uh, now I'm going to pull up my copy here. Uh, so I can catch the alien planet, which I totally had forgotten. Exor. Yeah. That it's very specifically mentioned in the main story. The cybernetic eye, Will Magnus says, doesn't look like, and it's not a spoiler because it's actually used in like one of the preview pages in the last, that's been in the other um, young animal books. Um, you know, is the cybernetic eye doesn't like Kryptonian technology. Exoran, or, or I think he says Ranian, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, Kryptonian, uh, Exorian. And so that Exor kind of like, it went, oh, it popped out when Will Magnus said it, and then you have a backup story involving Exor. It's so specific because Zan and Jaina of the Super Friends did make it into mainstream continuity. They were in, ju- I think, either justice league task force they were in a justice or, league book and it was really, or extreme justice it was the one with uh yeah it was the one with one of the spin-offs that was not it was dark and ugly it was really and, we were really really upset by it oh it predates our you know i i think that's long before we 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 even knew each other i think it was like back in the 90s and it was just it just sucked oh i know they came um, they came back again since then in justice league so yeah, and so I think that like when I look at these backup pages, they're almost meant to look like like they were house ads for something else, but with much more depth than any of the house ads yeah. of the seventies would have been. And so I'll bet that even this joke troopers, uh, the, the other thing involving Batgirl, is going to tie in somehow. That it's all, but instead of being this sort of random cut up technique, which is what Doom Patrol's first issue felt like. This is these little clues are buried in a backup that you might overlook, right? And that's, instead of having it stuck and blow and ruining the flow of the story, that's that's part of what made me think Starman because like the mythologies of characters you haven't thought about and how they all tied together and stuff. But I also want to go back and look at an ad in this in this book. It's the full page ad for Flash number ten. Did you find that? Uh, yeah. So, but it's not just Flash. Is that who I think it is in the background? Wait a minute, wait a minute. i got to go back and, and find that actual... Oh, it does look like the shade, doesn't it? It or does. Or a version. Yeah, I think that's going to be the, sh- the new shade. 
That's a little sad. Again, because you know, there's something I want to be annoyed with by DC is is that all of them now are saying this. DC Universe Rebirth. You got Aquaman number twelve, Flash number ten. There's Batman buried in there and Superman, and they've been going on for a while saying this. But the next epic starts here. I'm like, you know what? We're still parsing through the last epic. <laughs> Could you let us? <laughs> Again, it's always my complaint, um, and it's my same complaint with Marvel too. Um, you know, with the Marvel now, again, they've learned nothing from their branding. It's just a harp. Of, it's just an editor who's gotten a little hyperbole stuck in his craw. But it's all of them. All of the books, all the house ads for all the books say the next epic starts here. Right. I, I for agree. rebirth. I agree. I agree. And and but the and but it's the same thing. It's like what's been going on with Marvel. So Marvel now is coming out, and they have this big number one now. Right. On books that aren't necessarily number one. No, it's it's the um, actually we have one this week with Infamous Iron Man, but uh, also um, oh, it was like issue seven of uh, yeah of I, I know that's what, there were several books. Oh, it's issue seven of Black Panther. That's it. Is a number one, but it's number one of the crew start. So it's the first issue of a new arc. So right. Yeah, and, and and it's like, uh, and, and so when I try very hard <laughs> to be like, I don't want to buy a book at Earth Two that I've already got pulled for me at Elusive up in San Jose, you know, <laughs> it's just like, oh, maybe this is a whole book I I didn't even know about, you know. Once yeah. again, that's yeah. a, that's a that's a different issue. So but what's your book? Certain... What's your book? What's your book? Well, Let's let me go to um, let me go to Infamous Iron Man. Ah, because... that was my next one. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Only a little, little sorry because you took Cave Carson, which would have been my first one. Um, that uh, that you've got uh, Alex Molly. First of all, I love when Bendis and Alex Molly were together, and that's the team that had done uh, Daredevil, uh, where ben, Bendis and, and Malieve really broke through together uh, with that. And um, I have just really enjoyed. I haven't read this one this yet, but I've enjoyed what was going on in Iron Man of this. Do we trust Victor Von Doom or not? Right. Um, it, has he finally truly learned a lesson in a way that no one's ever had Doom do? You know, and so um, he's doing, I'm very intrigued. He's intrigued doing a bunch of it. trustworthy and uh, non self serving things, and uh, he really yeah. does feel like a repentant and sinner. Did you read this? No, I just said I did not. See, I have I, not yet. See, I read it in preparation for having it as mine. The, I love the beginning of this because it goes back to the Cabal, and we get uh-huh. we get an unseen scene with the old Doom that is just awesome. But you've got um, what's his name Parker, uh, uh, the Hood. Um, the Hood, yeah. I don't know who his secret entity is. Yeah, it's a part of 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 Marvel that you know I've just gone away from. But you know that's I just love the choice of artist. I everything's gonna be gritty, but it's you know it's. Um, no, you, you when you read this, that first four or five pages really sets the book up. It's it's just, and and there is a question there, posed by the hood, where you kind of go, yeah, why hasn't anybody ever asked Doom that? Because yeah, it's totally correct. So, and the rest of the book is kind of like yeah. So maybe if he did a little bit of a reset, he'd be this way. So. Well, you know, I'll take back to, and I, I'll have to research on Amazon to see where to find this this what if. But there was in the first what if, which I think was the best version of that series, right? Uh, the, the first time around was what if Doom had been a hero, right? And 
that's one of my favorite what ifs because you really got that sense of tragedy and the difference for those who don't want to look it look it up but it is find the back issue it's great i don't know i don't remember which issue it is but um they also, where the the simple change was he listened to Reed Richards. Yeah. When Reed Richards said, you know, your calibration's off just a little bit. Here, let me help you. He accepted Reed's help and therefore never got the scar. They did that too uh, in the Adam Warlock series where he was the only hero on on Counter-Earth and everybody else was norm, normal until Adam got there and then the uh, the Unmen. Unmen? Animen? Whatever. Animen. Animen. Yeah. The Unmen is uh, uh, Arcane's Creatures and Swamp Thing. Right. It's the Animen. The Animen. It's so show. hard to keep your prefixes straight. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's understandable. All right. What's next in your bag? Well, the next one in my bag is uh, entirely an appropriate cover. Um, it's the Astonishing Ant-Man number 13. And this, is, this has been a book that um, I was trying to think what this reminded me of. And it, what it came to was it has about the same level as hum, of humor as the second phase of She-Hulk, not the original one where she was kind of a really a monstrous character. But once the Savage She-Hulk versus not, the John Byrne She-Hulk, yeah, the John Byrne She-Hulk, where she actually had a sense of humor, she interacted with people, she was just a very tall, uh, beautiful green woman, and Ant Man is not a very tall. Uh, beautiful green woman, but Ant-Man certainly in this book has had a great sense of humor, both in its uh, in the craziness that gets thrown at um, Ant-Man and his family, but also in the people he associates with. Because you've got, and I can't remember his first name. It's the the cybernetic uh, character, something Smith, Winter Smith, Machine Smith, Machine Smith. That's it, Machine Smith and Grizzly have just been like um, like the two stooges to counter they're always they're always kind of like teetering on the uh, the brink of let's just be good guys or maybe we can do some little bad guy stuff here or whatever um, the the cover as I said is entirely appropriate because it's Scott and his daughter sitting on the beach looking at the sunset and they both have their respective con uh, costumes on, except for they've taken off their their uh, ant, their cyber helmets, as they look into the sunset, because it's the last issue of the series. And I think it, it wraps up nicely. It wraps up with the Skylo- trial of Scott Lang. It basically undoes everything that was done in the series, except for it completes the arc where Scott and his daughter are back together again and associated. Um, that's good, that's... Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's of great import to me. Yeah. All right. Uh, next uh, on mine is one that I'm sure you don't have. My next two, I don't think you do. Uh, Deadpool, too soon, question mark, number one. <laughs> the next epic begins here, I feel. Uh, and it's too soon. No, this is, um, this is a locked mansion mystery, uh, which I started to read, and then we, we had to, go in uh, get on skype but it's um it reminded me of murder by death did you pick this book up no i did not okay uh that it's uh deadpool uh gathers uh ant-man is one of them uh squirrel girl spider ham the punisher ant-man and howard the duck 
with also, and you would love this, with Forbushman. Okay. In a mansion where he's blackmailing them, and there uh, may be a murder mystery involved. Uh, <laughs> so, basically, doing murder by death with some of Marvel's silliest heroes and the Punisher, maybe he is silly, uh, just got my attention because this, uh, the cover is they're sitting around a poker table, and it's uh, and it looks like it's actually, I was going to say it's Groot, but I think it's... It's Death's Hand, because I forgot, uh, Rocket and Groot show up as well. And uh, so the, the cover is playing cards with uh, Rocket, Groot, Howard, and Spider-Ham. And uh, Deadpool is tossing it uh, in the card of Squirrel Girl. So it, it got my attention. And uh, it seems silly and fun. And maybe it is too soon for yet another Deadpool. Because I think he's got, like, what, ten different series with his title on it. And, and he's appearing on everything. The only legitimate cover, I think, that... Uh, has Deadpool that's not like a sales tactic is that uh, Resurrection Weapon X because Deadpool was retconned in as part of that uh, as part of that experiment. But uh, this looks like fun and it's the kind of the, the thing that just every now and then I, I, I kind of put Deadpool down uh, but these like one shot or uh, you know miniseries with Deadpool they haven't let me down. They've been fun and entertaining. So and uh, knowing that Howard is going to also don the Deadpool costume soon and, and go after Deadpool, uh, he'll be the duck with a mouth. Uh, I can't resist. So. I'm just happy that in the uh, in the postscript, or not the postscript, in the post-Secret uh, Wars Marvel Universe, we have established that Forbish Man did make it through. Yes. 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 So, there's, uh, there's so much untapped potential there. As I know that you are a Forbush Man fan, yes, that maybe you want to go back to the store and pick up Deadpool. Does he? Soon. Does he still have the pot? On of his course head? he does. Okay, good. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. So great. And there's a little fun fact about the pot and when he first appeared. Uh, so you know, I've always, it, it, I've always wanted to see a, a Marvel DC crossover of Forbush Man and the original Red Tornado because I think they could argue about which one, which one's costume works better for them because they are pretty much the same they are and i always wondered if that was on purpose um so anyway uh next on yours so you talked through all the books i was prepared to talk about so i'm going to go someplace strange i'm going to go someplace all new and wild uh because the my magic mailbox uh which i have to feed with money um delivered to to me today a new wild adventure from uh Kenneth Robeson, but actually by uh, Will Murray. Will Murray. Um, the Wild Adventures of Pat Savage, Doc's cousin. We have our first uh, full-length novel. It is uh, it is 336 pages of uh, of prose with a beautiful cover by Joe DeVito, um, and inset. Uh, so this is the Six Scarlet Scorpions, uh, Pat Savage adventure. And I'm this. I I know already that it uh, it does bridge uh, Doc and Pat by incorporating Monk throughout the story, which is uh, entirely appropriate. Monk and Ham both both show up in this. So excellent, excellent. Uh, I think that's funny that I talked through all your choices. That's uh, I didn't mean to. Yeah, because uh, I'm yeah. so limited in what I pick up down in L.A. Um, 
you know, it, it, and uh, well, we my do, laugh. We should do what's in the bag from now on before we do regular comic news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, why, does that make you feel better? Is, no, uh, no, you did Death of X, which I was going to talk about, and... Uh, this is like, oh no no no! I didn't count that. Well, I was doing it as comic news, right? To talk yeah. about it with Resurrection. You're yeah. right, yeah. but I talked about Infamous Iron Man as well. Yeah. Uh, my last choice is, uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of bummed. I I don't have a chance to go to the signing for this, but uh, from Dark Horse Comics, a book called Spell on Wheels, uh, which is three modern day young witches, um, and uh, kind of their a- adventures in uh, I guess. Oregon, because everything's got to be North. No, it's Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm sorry, um, but kind of a, a modern take on the Coven. But why it's n- noteworthy is uh, it's by Kate Leff and uh, Megan Levins. Uh, and just a couple weeks ago, I believe uh, I talked about Megan Levins uh, in What's in the Bag, again recommended by uh, by Susan Avalon to me, which was uh, her the book Angel City. And uh, Kate Leth, I think, is involved. Is she the writer on um, on Squirrel Girl? So it's kind of an interesting combination of creators. I mean, by interesting, I mean uh, high quality. Uh, again, kind of a book a little off the beaten path. Maybe not one that would jump at, out at you on the comic book shelf. But I'm all for using this segment to tout books that you might not have noticed when you walk through the comic book shop. I'm really digging on Megan Levin's art. It's so consistent. It's so fun, um, bright, and yet it can handle so many different tones, Which, if that makes sense. Um, so, a Spell on Wheels from Dark Horse. That's going to be my last choice today. And, I, and uh, oh, you know, a news thing that I think people should be aware of. I don't know if you've seen this, Rick, but uh, Valiant, to get back at the uh, cosplay covers of Marvel... Uh, I don't know if you've seen that they're going to release an entire alternate month in November, uh, although actually it may be more than that. Um, Ten books, uh, when is this coming out, is uh, they're doing cat cosplay covers. Cat co- So cats dressed up as superheroes? Yes. So uh, I have, so this, you can get the latest issue of Comic Shop News, issue 1531, has a cat dressed up as Faith on its cover. Uh, there will be an Eternal Warrior. There are two cats dressed as Archer and Armstrong. Uh, one as one of the members of the Har- Harbinger Foundation. There is a really frightening-looking cat dressed as Bloodshot. Uh, so Britannia. I think I'm, I'm looking Britannia. at it now. Generation Britannia Zero. Is there. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. There'll be a Ninjak one. Um, yeah. Bloodshot. So <laughs> I said. I said. These are truly yeah. silly. Yes. Uh, so, you know, just saying uh, that's almost worth buying. Uh, looking, Seeking out those variant covers, I think it's just worth mentioning because people love cats, right? Uh, so let's talk some movie news. I don't think there's any cat news in, uh, in the movies this week. But uh, the big thing today, such great timing, right, is that uh, Marvel, and I'll give James Gunn credit, uh, dropped both the new teaser poster uh, which you got to see early this morning, and then like a couple hours later, and I don't know if you follow James Gunn on Facebook, but he had said he dropped the poster and said, uh, I know we're going to have uh, footage available soon, and then two hours later comes out with a trailer. Um, so uh, He's looking, such a card. Well, it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know. And I think, I mean, the thing that I really appreciate is, is he had said, 
back at Comic-Con, they'd shown some, like, rough footage, and people were like, why can't you release that? Because they released a Doctor Strange trailer and, and uh, some you know, some of the other things from Comic-Con. And he said, no, because, and, and I know he's right, the internet being what it is, that uh, you can that if he'd released it, people would be tearing it apart and saying, oh, these effects don't look good, which is what he was saying. He was like, no, I just, you know, I rushed the effects so that we could, you know, put something together for Comic-Con. It's not done. It's it's simply not ready. Um, you know, so he, w- he would have been opening up for so much criticism, even as people were getting what they claimed they wanted. So I'd rather have a smooth, clean, incredibly uh you know exciting trailer for me uh that makes me want to see the movie more and i and i kind of say you know say like you know it's true because i remember when both hulk movies when they did like uh super bowl commercials and they weren't done with the special effects and everybody criticized what the hulk looked like both the ang lee version and the louis leterrier one uh the hulk hulk and the incredible hulk movies both were you know we we hate what we love. We love what we hate. I don't know. I don't know how to put it. You know, we just we just tear these things down. So it just looks perfection. You had a chance to watch it before we started recording. Yeah, and, I, uh, it's it, it. It doesn't get me more excited about it because I was already terrifically excited about it. I was amused at some of the character changes that are occurring, and uh, I think that uh, the world needs a touchy feely feely Dax. Drax. Drax. Dax is Kristen Bell's husband. I understand. I understand the confusion. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, touchy-feely Drax. The idea that Rocket and Yondu are teaming up somehow gets me very... It's just one of those things, like, I had no idea that I would have wanted them to interact. But, yes, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, and it shows, you know, and I, I want to say, I mean, there is a coolness that i got to say about James Gunn just being one of those directors that, like Joss Whedon, it's not irritating at all that he's just loyal to talented people. He and Michael Rooker are, like, great friends, so he he turned Yondu into a character for Michael Rooker, which no one would have predicted, and then, you know, Michael Rooker totally deserves, has been such a hardworking actor on the fringe for so, so long, um, and appearing in James Gunn movies, that, you know, it's awesome that he gets to be this major player in the Marvel Universe. And he really, you know, he really did turn him into a character for Michael Rooker because Yon, that character oh, I know. is a Michael Rooker character. It is not Yondu from the comics. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, it's, it's Michael Rooker in blue makeup. Right. But, <laughs> you know, he made it fit. He made it work. And, you know, just as, I mean, he's gotten free reign to change the cosmic order of things, since we know the one character missing that I really wanted to get a glimpse of or did we, or is he missing, is Kurt Russell's ego. Mm. <laughs> I, I know what you meant, but that did sound I know, I realize that. Ego, the living planet, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is that's the character I wanted to see. You know, I, I, I want to see what, what Kurt Russell's going to bring to that. And this gives, you know, no taste of that, but it doesn't matter. I mean, that's what I, I topped this out with is, is to say, you know, don't give me what I think I want. Give me what I really need. You know, just keep wetting my appetite so that May, I mean, I'm going to bounce from Doctor Strange in November to Rogue One in December. I don't know what I'm going to do January, February, March, and April. 
uh, <laughs> than May. I'll catch up on things like the television series, I'm sure. Uh, or, uh, you know, I'm realizing there are a couple movies I have to search for on Netflix as a result of talking to Nick about, uh, you know, about Channel Zero. So, yeah. um, you know, this is... Because, you know, what we didn't say, and I'll put it as a, as a movie thing, is when they offered me Nick, offered an interview with Nick and, and uh, Craig, the director... They said he's the director of The Boy. And so for weeks, I've been thinking it was that creepy doll movie from a few months ago. Oh, yeah. And and it's not. It's a completely different horror movie about a kid who was raised without any friends who has created a dark, imaginary world in his gothic, you know, his old ancestral home. And so it's kind of, it's a killer kid movie. Um, or is it? I don't know because I've watched it, but the, what little I have found on it is like, oh, that's really, really creepy. Um, so it's, I need to see both different movies called The Boy, but that that's a whole new one that I need to discover. So, um, I'm hoping that's on Netflix too. And, uh, so anyway, uh, if you want to watch the trailer, if you want to see the poster, and I pulled some screen caps from it, they're all on Fanboy Planet. Uh, and, I love the tagline for the poster, which is just obviously, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, there's so much attitude that they've earned, you know, that's, what's great about it. And it almost makes me forgive, uh, the fact that the tower of terror is going away at Disneyland, uh, for this. So, um, well, we shall, Go I ahead. think it's, I think it's just like the obviously is because the name of the movie is number two, right? It's it, no, it's volume two, volume two. So it's like, Obviously, we don't have to. You're going to watch it. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. I, I, I just think it's just too in general. I because the volume two is because it's mixtape, right? You know, because right, it's right. a mixtape right. volume two. Uh, so I love that. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio has announced he's going to produce a Captain Planet movie. A fr- a concept that escape. I never watched that show. Uh, so the cartoon of the eighties. Early yeah, 90s? 80s, 90s, somewhere around there. You know, a very ecological friendly teaching kids about I remember re- that recycling. Ted Turner created it. Yeah. That's that's all I know about it. I know that Tom Cruise had been interested. So I guess it must be 80s because that's when it first came out. He was going to produce, he was going to star in a live action version of Captain Planet. And then ironically, uh, he quit that so that he could make the Exxon sponsored Days of Thunder instead. It's uh, Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Yes. And it was yes. in September 15th, 1990. Okay. Uh, so, um, Happy birthday anyway. to me. Well, well, there you go. Now everyone knows. They'll track you down. Yeah. Funny, you don't sound 26. Uh, so, uh, you talk about things that happened before then. Um, anyway. If you can't handle uh, yeah. time travel. There's also a funny or die, I think... Uh, uh, version of uh, Don Cheadle did a, a Captain Planet uh, live action. I think it's Funny or Die that did it. So you can probably find that online. Maybe I should I should look for it. Um, but anyway, I, you know, it's no word. It, it makes sense to me that Leonardo DiCaprio would turn to it uh, to if he's going to play a superhero. And actually, he has not said that he's going to play it. But but if he were to, uh, it would be logical since he's one of the big uh, celebrity spokespeople for Earth Day and uh, very concerned with the ecolo- ecological state it's, of our planet. It's kind of a controversial show because they a big part of the show was the idea that uh, 
Gaia, the spirit of the planet, had been awakened and is is active, and so it's kind of a it's kind of a pagan um, message there that that can get muddled up with the idea that some people get upset about pe- people <laughs> worshiping the planet, worshiping nature. You know, they should worship uh, other mythologies. Anyway. Well, I understand. I understand that, but you know, the thing is, there are a lot of people that are. I, it's not. It's not at this point. I feel like it's not planet worship. It's like if we really don't have a plan to get off this planet, we could better pay attention to. Oh it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's stewardship, is what I would say. But it's like um, it's like Kurt Russell's ego, right? We're living on a on a on a planet that has feelings, and you know. Well, I'm going to say something controversial, which is that when people say, oh, you know, save the planet, I've seen others put this attitude is, the planet's just fine. Oh, yeah, that's totally it. We're not. Yeah. That's the problem. The planet will go on long after we've suffocated ourselves. Yes. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, as Gary Johnson said, I mean, sure, there's global warming. Like, in five billion years, the sun's going to expand. Uh, (laughs) So, so isn't that just what's going on? Yeah. no, I, I I know that I've I've uh, <clears throat> I read scientific things. Um, I know better. Anyway, I, I just want to say that uh, that doesn't mean I should be president either. But I'm just saying uh, this just in before right before we started recording, uh, Warner Brothers announced that they are uh, putting into motion a script uh, for a prequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because oh, they want to reinvigorate the Willy Wonka franchise. One, this made me want to throw up uh, because it's like it's not a franchise. It's, a, it's hubris to begin with that they could reinvigorate one of the most beloved children's stories and two of the better uh, children's movies that neither which has lost any steam. No, exactly, but they but they can't make they got to make new ones. And I, I think by calling it the Willy Wonka franchise, I think they mean they want to they want to do they've got cooperation from Roald Dahl's estate. Yeah. But doing a prequel is stupid because either you have to ignore, uh, you have to ignore. You can't really use the Tim Burton Charlie and the Chocolate Factory one with Johnny Depp, and you shouldn't because, as as I found it enjoyable, there are still a lot of flaws to it. Yeah, but one, but it already handled the backstory, which Roald Dahl did not give. Right, Willy Wonka. He's he, you know Willy Wonka is the mysterious old man. It's the call to adventure. Right, study your own story structure you know people read your joseph campbell this is one time where i'm going to go be slavish to that pattern um to go back in time makes no sense i don't care we already know that slugworth and 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 a bunch of people you know tried to steal all the secrets that's why he shut down the the factory but there already is a sequel which the great great glass the great glass elevator I'd be super happy talk about your time travel. There's time travel involved in that. There's all kinds of fun things involved in that. Just do that. Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. Everyone would know. Did you know um, did you know there's an unfinished one as well? No, I did not know that. The the third volume, and this is this is I'm not making this up, folks. The third volume was called Charlie in the White House. And yes, it's that White House. I'm for it. Yeah. Um you know, he's one of those authors. I should say, I, I, I haven't read enough. Like I have, I, you know, I. If we can diverge to Broadway for a moment, Matilda, such an incredibly charming musical on stage. I have the novel. I haven't read it. The BFG came out this summer, directed by Steven Spielberg. I've never read the BFG. I've just read the Charlie books. 
Yeah. I don't, you know, I've seen the Fantastic Mr. Fox. I don't think I ever read the Fantastic Mr. Fox. And he's one of those authors I really feel like I got to go back and and dig into it. I mean, now my kids are a little too old, but you know, they're, they're fun stories. Super I, quick I, I want to read. And uh, you know, and and this is the same guy that basically created Tales from the Dark Side as well. He was twisted. Yeah. And <laughs> oh. but in a good way. Yeah. Um. So. Also, in movies that don't need to exist, Sony has announced that they're going to do their own version, live-action version of Mulan. And they have tapped uh, a director from Game of Thrones, Alex Graves. There was a little controversy, which I, I, I totally understand why there was controversy, but I felt it was almost like it was premature, that there was online outrage to make sure that Disney cast uh, an Asian actress as Mulan before Disney had even said a thing about casting. So, I mean, that's... So I understand the controversy, because I understand the sensitivity. Yeah. That it's not beyond the realm of possibility that a studio would do something stupid. Because the other thing they did that was stupid and confirmed, and then they backtracked from for the Disney live-action, was they were going to give Mulan a Western love interest so that they could cast a Caucasian actor in the film. And then there was outrage, deservedly so, because you've got this fantastic animated film, which, yeah. I mean, that essentially is all Asian, even though I know not all the actors who voiced the characters are themselves Asian. And if you wanted to put a Caucasian character in, then do the villain, because, you know, he he was an outsider. He... I think he was exiled in the movie. It's been a while since I watched the film, but I mean, he was in exile, but it could be that, you know, he was the outsider. Make him villainous. That's fine. You know, make, make that character white. If you absolutely, absolutely feel like you have to do that. It's totally unnecessary though. I mean, Uh, no, I, I I agree. And that's one of the things that really frustrates me about casting. Cause you know, the same thing happened with Kubo and the two strings, which I still haven't seen, but which everybody, you know, which I, I, from the moment I saw a trailer for that movie, it went, wait a minute, you've got this ca- this story taking place in Japan. And I'm serious, this was my reaction. And your lead characters are voiced by uh, Rooney Mara, uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Oh, there's George Takei's name. And George and Kerry Tuck, uh, Tagawa. Um, uh, and uh, so two Japanese, uh, Japanese American actors are in the cast, and they just play villagers. Yeah, when they should be playing the leads, you know, or, or or discover new Asian talent, or you know, or John Cho should have played the Beetle, I, which I think is the name of the character Matthew McConaughey plays. Like I haven't seen the movie, I've heard it's wonderful, but it's one of those things where I just go, what, why, why aren't? Uh, it makes no sense to me. I, I had so many other issues with that company, but anyway, um, move on. So, why do we need two? Mulan's anyway. Logan news. This is you know I'm talking about Marvel comics having like are they rebooting or rewriting? What is the continuity? It was dropped yesterday. Uh, once again, uh, there's new news that the Reavers are confirmed. They've been releasing images of the Reavers, but one of the characters that's in Logan is uh, which is taking place in the future. An older Logan, tired of his abilities, losing some of his steps. Stephen Merchant as Caliban. Yeah. And here's my confusion. I think Caliban was in Apocalypse. Oh. Hmm. With a different actor in a completely different setup. 
I'm not sure. You uncredited or? No, no, no. I no. He's the guy that said, uh, Psylocke is working for. He finds mutants, and then I thought, oh, it was kind of an interesting rewrite of Caliban's, because I think Caliban is a mutant sensor, because he's in days of in the actual days of future past, or one of the sequels to Days of Future Past. They kind of established him as he was one of the hounds. I think he first shows he first shows up as a Morlock. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think he did have the ability to search out and he may have been corrupted at some point. But he Well, was, I know that he was one of Apocalypse's angels, uh one of his horsemen at one point. Um I can't remember if he became death or pestilence. Um but he was cured. But regardless, and, and you don't need to get into the weeds of the of the comics continuity, but I'm saying in the movie Apocalypse, X-Men Apocalypse, there was a character who was basically keeping a database on mutants, and he was bald and had a kind of a mutant appearance, and they called him Caliban. He's played by Thomas Lemarque. Okay, so I'm Thomas Lemarque. I am... L-E-M-A-R-Q-U-I-S? Oh, Lemarque. My gosh, that's pretty... Okay. But regardless, he was there. Okay, good. I'm not crazy. I would. I think Stephen Merchant would play a, a would play a great Caliban closer to what I to what I interpret him from the comics. But there is the craziness of Fox has one franchise, <laughs> one Marvel. Well, they have two Marvel franchises, and they can't get them right. They can't keep it straight. They don't know what they're doing from movie to movie, yeah. and. That is why those movies are getting more and more vaguely dissatisfying and unsettling. So I'm going, you know, I may enjoy Logan, but I may totally ignore, I have not had the urge, I don't know if you've had, but I have not had the urge to go out to the stores and buy my own copy of, of Apocalypse. I think that, I, th- I know that I've seen all of them. Most of them I've seen one time. Mm-hmm. So I do not remember what happened in, in prior movies in any given movie. And I seriously think that's the best way to go into them, where you just don't try and fit them into any continuity at all. That's probably true. Um, and But there's where I, you know, it's upsetting to me only because when you look at the Marvel, the main Marvel Cinematic Universe, Oh yeah, it's, I, I could rewatch any one of them. I, I would, would even sit through Iron Man 2 again. Totally. Most of those I've seen four or five times at least. And... That's what I'm saying. The difference here is the stories are not not strong enough, and the characters are not well defined enough to make it worth my spending the time watching that movie again. Because I'm just not going to take anything away from it. Yep, there you go. All right, uh, and now in in dream casting, uh, what started as a joke is still kind of is building up steam. Anna Kendrick made an appearance with uh, Ben Affleck because uh, they're both in The Accountant. Uh, which I, I'm really dying to see. I have not. Um, and which she says she wants to play Robin in his upcoming The Batman uh, that he is writing and directing and will shoot sometime, we believe, in 2017. Um, basically, she wants to, I would guess, she wants to be Carrie Kelly. Um, yeah, that's what I was doing. I I could see her in like a Bob Blonde wig. But... No, well, uh, she could play Stephanie Brown, too. Stephanie Brown had a brief moment as uh yeah as robin i think she's probably thinking of of uh of the of carrie yeah of carrie from from uh, probably well you know what she's already admitted she's not a comics fan but apparently i think it's her sister is 
So she's also been trying to campaign to play Squirrel Girl. So she just wants to be in a comic book movie. And I love her enthusiasm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm for it. I don't care which one she gets to be. I think Robin makes more sense than Squirrel Girl. Squirrel you know, Girl's going to be odd to fit in. It's kind of almost getting into typecasting, but if I was going to if I was going to go for my dream for the uh, for the Robin character from uh, Dark Knight, uh-huh. I'd, I'd go with Chloe Grace Moritz. And I would agree with that. The only problem, and well, I should say the problem. I don't think she would because it's too close to Hit Girl. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's too close to being typecast, but I think she, she's already she's already been a much more competent version of Carrie. Yeah, you know. Um, so, and I'm who but might I, speak for any of these people, but I think Carrie could be played a little deeper than Hit Girl was. Yeah, that that is true. There's more complexity than than what those characters were, um, and another one who does know his stuff, and I don't know how he's supposed to fit it, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Of course, is playing Negan in The Walking Dead coming back, has giving interviews saying, Well, now that he's played Thomas Wayne <laughs> in Batman v Superman, it's only logical that he should be the Flashpoint Batman, that eventually that's where the series should go. And I want to say, I've, I've known, I, I interviewed Jeffrey Dean Morgan uh, when they made Watchmen. I know he knows his comic stuff. He didn't before he was cast as the comedian, but he really got into graphic novels. And, and, and into comics. So <laughs> I love that he wants to do it. I don't want to see it happen. <laughs> but if it must happen, I would like to see Jeffrey Dean Morgan play Batman. I could play see it, Flash, I could see it having, happening as part of a, another movie, another bigger event where they have, you know, where there's yeah. the same kind of storyline as you'd have in Flashpoint, you know. But we've already had a Flashpoint. We had one on TV a couple of weeks ago. Well, that was a bad one. Um, <laughs> I love that I, one. You know, but, you know, because out of, out of all the Flashpoint, because there was the Flashpoint, what did they call the animated film? Flashpoint Paradox? Yeah. Uh, so we're kind of shifting into television there. Um, my disappointment with the Flashpoint Paradox is I didn't like the Flashpoint story with one exception, and that is that I loved the Elseworlds question of what if... Batman, because you have to say, I combined two different companies, um, alternate realities there. The Elseworlds what if question yes. of, of, of if it was Thomas that survived and that story that Brian Azzarello wrote, I would love, I would love to see just, and it had to be an animated, and they, I'd be fine with yeah. DC, Warner Brothers doing it. Show me that story of Thomas Wayne fighting the Joker who is Martha the two different ways because they gave you just a glimpse of it and my son and I had a good conversation about that I said I mean isn't it interesting just think how people would handle the death of a child so differently oh yeah and no it's a, and, it's, a, it's a great twist you've just spoiled um, like, no it's not no it's I'm, in the cartoon they do make it clear I'm just that that's what that that's what happened I think we can um, we can let Jeffrey Dean Morgan do the voice too Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I would. I can't remember who voiced him in uh, in in the cartoon, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I, I like I, I like him. I just don't want to see that film, but I do want to see the Batman. Uh, I'm so excited for for Ben Affleck's. Uh, no, I mean, again, we're in a good a, a good time. Again, <laughs> like, oh, I want to see this. I can't believe I'm seeing that. So to go into television, I mean, like, I watched Supergirl this week and. I had this moment, and I and I just love that these moments keep cascading and colliding on me, of where I sat looking at the screen, going, 
that I have lived long enough to see a live-action Martian Manhunter and Superman fight Metallos side by side is like, I can't believe that that's happening on television. I haven't watched that episode yet, but yeah. Well, you know, it was set up, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler. It's like, no, you know, it's not, but it's that, not a spoiler. It's, it's... But that, that we're there. And the weird thing is, I feel like the move to see the CW was like reducing the budget, but they've shown, they've done much more with the Martian Man- Manhunter oh, yeah. fighting as Martian Manhunter than they did last year. You know, or maybe it's just these first couple of episodes, they're just totally blowing the budget out to get you hooked on Superman, which well, I want to say Greg Berlanti has said, give it a couple of years. We want to establish Superman in the Supergirl universe. But no. yeah, I'd love to see a Superman series with Tyler Hecklin, and I am all for it. <laughs> there, <laughs> like, there have been scenes that they that had been, if they had been shot before, when Martian Manhunter touched down, he would have changed his human form, and they've left him there to stand around and talk now. I mean, they, yeah. don't, they don't try and cheap out on the special effects by saying, oh, now he, he's more comfortable in the non-Martian Manhunter. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. So, yeah. 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 Well, then you got to watch this week's episode, because it, it was just... It's, again, it, it's more full of feeling of this, like... Again, something I've never seen or believed, and I think because, like, on Smallville, it was so soap operatic... You know, it was so melodramatic at, that anything, like the, the relationship between Kara, and she was so prickly, too. I liked Laura Vandervoort as Supergirl, but she was, you know, she was prickly. And, and she was written that way. Whereas this is that they have just easily filled in, and you believe that for the first time on film, Superman and Supergirl are cousins who love each other as family and not just because they're the only two right. left, you know? It's like that there really is a relationship that those two just fill in the gap so well. And it's a version of, of the relationship that we've never seen, bef- gotten to see live before. We've seen it in comics, and sometimes people have written it poorly, and sometimes people have written it well. This is being handled about as well as it could be. No, I was in, I was in a comic book shop, store, store this afternoon, and I was the store, yes. in a store. The uh, there was a conversation going on ahead of me in line, and somebody was saying, "Yeah, he doesn't. He's not as tall as Superman ought to be." And I said, "You're nuts. First off, he's plenty tall. Second off, if you're thinking Superman, if you read the comic and you look at the characters currently who play Superman, who try and epitomize what that character is in the comics." Which do you choose? And he goes, yeah, you're right. It's a much better character. So Yeah. Well, and you know, no I've doubt. read online criticism that he's too thin. And I again, I mean, you know, this is the thing that has bothered me for a long time. Is, you know, we have built up this idea that everybody has to be over-muscular. Yeah. And, and I've said, Superman, it makes no sense to me if his powers are because it's the sun as a solar battery. And, why would his muscles get huge? Right. Why do they the need, pa- need to? It's the power inherent in the... Uh, in and the I atmosphere. go back to it. J.J. Abrams was when he was... I, I, I'm glad his script didn't happen, but the person he was looking for, looking at, to play Superman was Jim Caviezel yeah. uh, from Person of Interest. Yeah. And one of the things was to me was like, well, that's actually a really interesting choice because if you grew up on a farm... I see two, ty- you know, uh, having some far, uh, some relatives in agriculture, 
I grew up occasionally visiting farms and seeing, you see two kinds of body, body types. There are stocky people. There are, but there are rangy people, you know, it's like wiry. They're strong. They're wiry. They don't get like over muscled because they're not focusing on one muscle. They're getting their strength from actually their exercise is coming from actually working. And that's who Clark Kent would have been if he had any musculature, you know? So it's like, no, Tyler Hecklin's perfect there. The, 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 I figured out, this is horrible of me. Why he bothered me and I'm overlooking it is he has bad teeth. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it, that's it's, he always looks wolfish. And I figured that out because his uh-huh. teeth are crooked. And it's the only thing like, oh, Superman should have perfect teeth. No, he shouldn't. I mean, <laughs> yes, he should, but who could have, who could have put Superman in orthodontia growing up? Right, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, we were going to put him on orthodontia, but he kept breaking out of them. And that's why he's mad at John Jones. You could make kryptonite braces and I'd finally have a perfect smile. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, there's that. Uh, Let's is tomorrow. I don't know if you finished that episode, that first episode, but uh, you made a comment. And you said, I think that the... Uh, the smaller, because you watch like the first half and you commented for Forrest Elam, uh, one of the listeners commented and you said, like, I think the smaller cast is going to work for them. Did you watch the end? The oh, end yeah, of the I did. I did. And where they expanded it out by another five. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> like, well, I just shook my head when you made that comment. I go, oh, Rick. Well, <laughs> we're not sure they're all going to join, you know? Yeah. Enough. Enough of them will. Um <laughs> And then, uh, and then the Flash, who said, you know, that last night was, uh, uh, yeah, I don't even want to deal, uh, <laughs> because the Flash is devolving a little bit to me because I, they focus so much on the speedsters, they've done so much, you know, it's like, uh, again, the right. cool thing about the Flash is Rogues Gallery, why Captain Cold and Heatwave were so good, yeah, it, so perfect, you know, and Captain Cold's coming back, but it's a Captain Cold obviously, from before. So he hasn't had that redemptive arc. We're getting back to an evil Captain Cold as part of their Legion of Doom on the uh-huh. CW. So it's very interesting. Um, even And I guess this weekend is when uh, The Walking Dead returns. So I'd like to uh, guide people towards uh, towards Fanboy Planet in a piece there. There's a video on this popped up online. John Cleese, a uh, founding member of, the, of Monty Python's Flying Circus. I always feel weird to say founding members since the members all the members are founding members so a member of monty python's flying circus uh recaps the six uh six previous seasons of the walking dead echoing the uh the rules from the australian school of philosophy uh and (laughs) i would not have imagined that john cleese was a walking dead fan i'm not entirely sold that he is but whoever uh he developed this material with it's pretty funny and it really is legitimately meant as an ad for The Walking Dead um, from Now TV, which is kind of a British version, I guess. I was doing a little research going, it's kind of the, the UK version of, uh, of Hulu or, or Netflix. Uh, you know, kind of a, you know, so you can pick and choose your packaging, cutting the cord. Yeah. So um, I think you can call him a surviving member of. Yeah, uh, it's too soon on that since, uh, to, you know. There, uh, there are a number. But it's really getting sad that when we see them passing on. Well, yes, as I said, I don't want to end this on a downer. No, no, no. Thanks, I, Rick. I, I was going to say um, the uh, the Australian. You men- mentioned the Australian uh, 
philosophers, philosophers. That's yes. the one with all the Bruce's, right? Yes. Okay, that's what I was. I was. I was trying to. I was trying to pick that one. That's also the no poofters. All the yes, rules. Yes, it's rule yeah, number yeah. one. No poofters. Rule number, rule number two. Yes. Right. No, right. I don't want to catch anybody not drinking. Rule number three. You know, and yeah. then rule number four. There is no rule number four. Uh, so yes, it's. Uh, it's uh, it's done setting out the rules of the Walking Dead and kind of a, uh, you know it's a, it's a, it's a fun little thing and so unexpected to come from him and uh, I was already going to dive back into Walking Dead as I've explained because of Negan and uh, and Ezekiel but uh, you know that that sold me so it was a fun bit so uh, I don't think there's anything else big coming in terms of. Uh, of television, it's just oh my gosh, so much superhero stuff to watch, so much superhero stuff to watch, so much comic book stuff to watch. Well, oh, you, it's crazy. You and I are going to be in a conference this next week, but I yes. happen to know that a good friend of ours or a friend of mine that you will be good friends with once you meet her is trying to arrange for a mass viewing of The Walking Dead while we're there Sunday and, night. Yeah, so okay. so that's potentially something for us to talk about in next week's podcast i'm fine with uh, i'm fine with joining that mass viewing there. so we shall see all right uh hey thanks everybody for listening once again if you have any questions comments compliments commentary criticism write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com or hey if you just want to donate on paypal editor at fanboyplanet.com thanks for listening i am derek mccaw editor-in-chief of fanboy planet and i'm rick brett snyder reminding you to Use your, Use your powers, powers only, only for, for good. And thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreat.com. Luke, L-U-K-E-S-K-I dot com.